0: So it and, says here, and- that the team looks forward to bringing the audience a moldable, pliable, iconically scented story. Okay, that must have come from the press release, because who the hell would say that? Yes. Um to another episode of the MacGuffin Podcast, the movie review podcast that dreams are made of. Keith Foster from San Diego, California, that is you.
1: And you are Cassidy Robinson, and you are recording from an undisclosed location in the Rocky Mountains.
0: Mm. This episode, we're going to be reviewing Ty West's new horror film X, uh, which is still in theaters, uh, select theaters. And... At the end of the podcast, we will also be talking about Roxanne, um, which is available to watch on HBO Max. Um, Oh, I watched it on Hulu. Oh, you did? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Well, I watched it on HBO. So it is available on both. I saw, or you, I think you told me via Marco Polo in one of our group group discussions that you uh, snuck away to WonderCon.
1: I wasn't going to talk about that, but sure. Why are you,
0: <laughs> are, are you going to get yourself in trouble if you do?
1: I don't think so. I don't know. Are you playing Maybe. hooky? Uh, no, no. <laughs> um, so un- unfortunately, uh, here's the story. I, I'll just lay it all out there. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, our show, um, uh, Murder on the Urn Express, had to go dark this last weekend Mm -hmm. um, due to uh, some COVID exposures um, and, uh, you know, out of an abundance of precaution. Unfortunately, we had to cancel the shows for the entire weekend. It sucks, but, you know, we're trying to do the right thing and Mm -hmm. you
0: had a free weekend.
1: I had a free weekend. I was a little unsure if I should go, just because of the possibility, uh, you know, uh, that I could be exposed. But I was uh, testing every day Um, after three negative tests. I was like, I'm probably fine. And I've tested every day since, Uh, you know, it was also a masked event. WonderCon isn't as uh, you've been, you know, it's not as tight as Comic-Con. So I didn't feel like I was necessarily risking a necessary exposure either. Anyway, yes. I've long story short, I don't I don't have to sell this to anybody. I went, it was fine. I tested every day since uh still negative. You know, I'm trying to do my best
0: to to at least <laughs> this isn't even why I asked you. I, you were like guilt ridden. I I I did feel I did feel a little I just wanted to know what you saw. And did you have fun?
1: (laughs) Yes. I had a good time. I'm glad I went ultimately ever since COVID comic cons, they still haven't had like a lot of programming Mm -hmm. uh, as far as like movies and entertainment returning yet. Mm -hmm. Um, So there wasn't a lot of like panels, but uh, you know, it's, it was cool. There was a lot of cool vendors, a lot of cool stuff to see. I did go to one panel um, it was like the 30th anniversary for the X Men animated series, okay. Uh, and they had uh, like the original showrunner and his, his wife, who is one of the writers on the show, talk about it, and uh, they couldn't really talk about the, the new show. I don't, do you know about the new show? Uh,
0: X-Men no. is, it a, is it a new animated series? Yeah, so uh, Disney Plus is
1: producing. It's called X Men '97, and apparently it's it's like a direct continuation from where the original animated series left off. All right. Yeah, it's, it sounds pretty cool, and I think you know, since it's Disney Plus and not Fox, they're actually probably going to put a little more money into the animation side of things too. So I I'm I'm pretty sure. excited.
0: I mean, back in whatever that was, nineteen ninety-one or two or three, that was uh that was cutting edge. But you know, Hi, Saban am Well, uh, I mean, that, they but.
1: they kind of talked. You know, they they uh they served some tea at the panel. You know, ap- you know, apparently it was very hard to get the show gr- greenlit because X Men was not a you
0: know, known quantity. sellable yeah.
1: property at the time. Outside uh, it, of
0: the world of comics, anyway.
1: Yeah, well, even even X Men's always been kind of the bastard child of comics. I mean, Wolverine's always been a star, but um, you know, the original X Men series was was dead. Like it, it didn't really gain any traction until it relaunched. Mm-hmm. That that's always been X Men is like it'll launch and then it'll eventually kind of fade away, but it'll come back, ebbs and flows. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, that panel was cool. Um, uh, they talked a lot about how they were jealous of the budgets of the Batman animated series. Sure. And how how much m- more sort of time and money they were able to kind of put into their art direction.
0: Um, right. Well, that was done by WB. And yeah. they had the, the full force of like Steven Spielberg and like everybody. And, and apparently
1: it wasn't even until like season three that they had like stable contracts at by the end of the season.
0: Yeah. It's, it's interesting to, to hear those stories. Everyone, you know, thinks of these mass media projects, um, you know, whether it be like Disney in the heyday of the nineties, you know, the Katzenberg era, or whether it be, um you know these different television productions these animated productions everyone kind of sees that as being like you know big hollywood or whatever but whenever you hear the story from the animators perspective or from the people who are actually working on these things a lot of those departments even the biggest ones were being held together with like sticks and bubble gum
1: oh for sure and and I mean, yes, it and seems they were big.
0: always on the chopping block, you no know, yeah. matter how
1: successful. It seems big to us because we were kids at that time,
0: and we watched right. you know our.
1: Well, Saturday and the presentation morning
0: was professional, but it they had to work really hard to, to get it. Absolutely, yeah. But that was really the
1: only panel we saw. Other than that, it was you know it was mostly like small vendors and, mm-hmm. and stuff. It also seems to be a little bit more of a cosplay. Convention. Uh, I mean, obviously, Comic-Con, there's plenty yeah. of cosplay, but there's so many great like photo ops at
0: WonderCon. Right, it's a big I, fountain and everything.
1: Yeah. And yeah. I think it's it's, you know, it's cheaper admission. It's easier to get tickets. It's not gonna, you know, I got my ticket like Saturday morning before mm-hmm. we went. Uh, you know what I mean? It's not something you have to plan a year or something in advance. So I, I think it's it's just a little more friendly for for people to come if they just kind of want to hang out and take pictures.
0: Yeah, for sure. But I'm glad that you had fun. I'm glad I, I suppose you're probably still testing negative. So that's good, too. Yeah, I
1: I am. <laughs> I think probably pretty much for the end of the run of the show, I'm I'm going to be pretty much testing every day or every other day or, you know.
0: Right. OK, let's go ahead and talk a little <laughs> bit about this movie news. First news story I have here from The Hollywood Reporter, Bill Skarsgård, who is perhaps best known for playing Pennywise the clown in the It movies, will be playing The Crow in a reboot directed by Snow White and the Huntsman Helmer, Rupert Sanders.
1: Okay. Y'all about to hear me go off.
0: Well, first, before you go off. Okay. Um. Do we even think this is going to happen? I feel like this is a cursed production. All right.
1: Cause... You're, you're going to see, you're getting to it. You're getting to my go off. Okay, go ahead. So I think the crow, the 90, what it came out in like the original one came out like 94 mm-hmm. uh, based on the comic by uh, James Obar. Yes. I feel like, I feel like that was just kind of a lightning in a bottle, right time, right place um it, it, you know it just tapped into kind of the cultural zeitgeist of the 90s it's sure. very dark very brooding uh had an excellent soundtrack of the time mm-hmm. i i don't necessarily see a crow crow the crow doesn't need to be like an ip i don't i don't
0: see it as necessarily like this kind of franchisable property it you know it's right now keep in mind there have been three sequels and a TV series and none of them have been good. No, none of them are noteworthy whatsoever at all. The, the
1: original movie's great. I mean, for a while, it was my favorite movie. Uh, yes, uh, I still love it. I still think it's a great movie.
0: Um, yeah. The original holds up. Brandon Lee, famously his last performance, absolutely uh, heartbreaking, died on, died on uh, set in an
1: in a accident. A um, Tragic accidental shooting Yeah, yeah
0: uh, Alex not, Proyas directed it He would later go on and do Dark City Which is also a very cool movie Lots of style
1: Uh, Back to your original point Yeah, I'm not going to put a lot of stock into this uh, You know, like two or three years ago There was a, a reboot in production With um Jason Momoa mm-hmm. As the lead Like, I, I feel like every... Two or three years we hear about a, a crow reboot that's in production with a different
0: lead. Uh at one no point it was gonna on... be uh at one point it was going to be Bradley Bradley Cooper. Cooper. Yeah.
1: yeah. I, I mean, no nothing wrong with Bill Skarsgard, he's fine. I just I don't think we necessarily need it. I, it might be all right. I I don't have a lot of faith in that director because Snow White and the Huntsman was a massive turd. <laughs> um, I mean, who knows how much of that was, you know, art by committee or whatever, but um, right. I still was not terribly impressed. So i i I will say at best, I am not optimistic about this.
0: I don't need it. I'm not saying there's no circumstance in which a crow reboot wouldn't work or couldn't sell. I think it probably could. Um, it would take, you know, some finagling uh, and maybe a little retooling um, of the, of the imagery and the IP and everything to sort of update it. But um, yeah, I mean, for whatever, there could be a crow movie. I, th- I don't know like- that that's crazy, but I also don't think it's necessary because the original, I don't know. Are we even like qualified to say whether or not it's dated? No, not at all. I mean, I kind of pers- can't tell. Show it, to, show it to your wife and she could probably be a better judge of whether or not it's super dated. Oh, I've made her watch it. Oh, really? You think?
1: The, I mean, we've been married for seven years now. You think she's never watched The Crow?
0: I don't know. I feel like that's almost like letting her read your bad like goth poetry or something. I mean, that used to be my thing was
1: I would like right. hang out with people and like make hey, them watch the crow, watch a movie and we'd watch the crow because yeah. like my go to movie, which it's not a great move. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's a good movie. Fuck that. It's a great it's a great revenge, you know, comic booky pre comic book movie. Um, I think it, it's it's it has so much style that it kind of makes up for the 90s ness of it. But um, that style is very much influenced by think the nineties. There's an,
1: uh, there's a style to it, and there's an earnestness. Yeah, there there's not this. Um, I feel like Alex Proyas understood the imagery. He understood the. I think he just understood the goth romance of it. Sure. That I feel like, you know, the later productions didn't totally get. They they kind of felt like you know they all felt like the bad sequel treatment right it became this a copy
0: of a copy of a copy whatever a we point. put
1: the name the crow on it and it will make at least its budget back or whatever yep. you know what i mean they very cynical productions the love wasn't there and i a big part of that was brandon lee like he was very yeah. attached to the source material he it's unfortunately his swan song because he was a very talented actor and could have gone on to make a lot of great movies, but he, he poured his heart and soul into that. And I Mm -hmm. think that shows in a way that none of the other productions have been able to do either. So that that's also kind of what I mean, when it's kind of a right time, right place thing.
0: Uh, Okay. Um, In more it related news, a prequel series is developed for HBO max. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. I don't
1: I don't know how many times called Welcome
0: to Dairy.
1: I don't know how many times I have to say this. The the thing that happens before the story Mm -hmm. isn't the story. Stop giving me prequels ever. Stop it. I don't want it. Don't need it. Not ask him for it. I would much rather have a thousand bad sequels. I would rather have a dairy set in in 2047 and have an it. Chapter three that they're just making up. Uh, <laughs> I get that it was a massive movie hit, yeah. But I have no interest. I have less than no interest. I have negative interest.
0: Okay, I'm a little bit more curious about this project than than you are. I think I think generally speaking, you're right that the prequel idea is not that interesting. But in the case of the mythology of it. Sure, it's i think a creature that's been around its, for thousands, for thousands, of, thousands years. of years. It's been haunting the same town for since the inception of like American settlements, and it has taken on these all these different forms and well, even um, I mean, even longer, really, because it's yeah, it it landed on Earth like primordial or whatever, but you know, it started eating children around the time of the settlements, and I think you could do a a kind of fun, creative monster of the week type um, anthology series that takes place in Derry. And, you know, you could jump around in the timeline, have one episode in the 1800s, have one episode in the 1600s, jump up to like the six, the fifties, like they're during the time of the, uh, the, I mean, here's the thing. I think, I mean, I don't know if that's what they're going to do, but I I don't, I would approach the project. I don't think you're even necessarily wrong. Show more of like Bob gray and the, in the circus and like that kind of stuff.
1: Uh, Yeah. I don't think you're necessarily wrong, but the fact that it's a prequel series and the fact that it's a a TV series, Mm. uh, I think that at best, what you could count
0: on is States motel level kind of stuff? Probably, you know. Or that like, Castle Rock show, which I've never watched. Eh, I watched the first
1: season. It, I liked the idea of it, but it wasn't great. And apparently the second season was a way better, but I just was so not interested after the first. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, I just, I don't know that. It also just, it feels like a cash grab to me. So oh, I don't 100%. know that it's, it's yeah. necessarily going to be artistically minded. I, it, I think best case scenario, it might be an anthology series, but you know, like each decade would probably be its own season and be drawn out and kind of
0: boring. And I don't know. I'm just, and they just kind of retread the same thing over and over again. Yeah.
1: I, I feel like that's more like what we're going to get,
0: but I would hope that, you know, with the series, there's a couple things that, make me a little bit more positive on it. If this was like AMC or if this was sci-fi network or something, yeah, I'd be like, fuck this shit all day long. But the fact that it's on HBO gives me a little bit more hope. They have a bit of a standard, which isn't to say they've never made a bad show ever, but I think that there's a bit more of a standard of quality there. Their quality control is just generally speaking better.
1: It's true. They, Um, they, is it HBO proper or is it HBO max originals? Because there is a, there is a distinctive difference in quality. I, there, there I, is, sorry.
0: there is, but I, 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 even still, I think it's, it's a better situation. Plus obviously being off network, you're going to be able to get away with more violence and gore and that kind of stuff. Sure. Please do <laughs> Andy that. machete is uh, staying attached as the pr- producer. OK, um, which I, I I that part I actually don't love because I I think I'm not a big fan of his. I think whatever works in those movies work in spite of him, not because of him. Um, and maybe with a big team of television writers, more voices in the room, it can diffuse some of the more hacky elements of what they or did with, it with the movies. or it could introduce more or it could introduce more. I'm just saying. I don't think that it is a, a non-starter of an idea.
1: I guess. I don't know. I, I'm not that into it.
0: Okay. This is big stuff. So I hope you're sitting down. I oh, know you're God. sitting down. Okay. A Play-Doh animated movie in the works with John M2 directing and written by Emily Gordon. So I was kind of joking.
1: Oh, I was like, finally, some good news. This actually, <laughs> I'm,
0: I'm here for it. Uh, I, I, I would, I would say, like, why do we need a Play-Doh movie? But I, I'm a fan of oh, John like, M. Chu. Like
1: literally, the brand Play-Doh. Yes. Oh, I thought you were just being uh-huh.
0: dumb and meaning like stop motion. I mean, that might be how they decide to go about it, but. Well, I think it's probably going to have be, to do it in
1: like the at least Wallace and Gromit style. Right. Like,
0: I don't know. I, I, I imagine it'll probably just be traditional 3D animation. Um, but Emily Gordon is a good writer. Um, yeah. And John M. Chu is a pretty good at visual directing. So
1: he I, I mean, he's also. I think don't never underestimate Ch- John M. Chu's pop sensibility with uh, a very underestimatable property. Right. Cause he, he, it will at least be entertaining as fuck. I'm hoping so. So it and, says
0: here, and, the, and, the team looks forward to bringing the audience, a moldable pliable iconically scented story. Okay. That must've come from the press release. Cause who the hell would say that? Yes. Um,
1: <laughs> I mean but he, okay this is exactly what I'm talking about right yeah. Lego movie was a huge hit so we're going to get a Barbie movie we're getting a fucking Play-Doh movie we're getting whatever
0: it this is one of those things where um it really doesn't matter you know I made a Trolls movie as well yeah the um, creatives
1: involved it, it, it it'll will... be
0: as good as the people working on it want it to be so if they put and I I I actually uh, have some amount of respect and trust in the creatives. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that they're just going to shit something out. But unless, you know, the studio essentially strangles any creative impulse they might have. Yeah, but I,
1: I think both of them are hot enough yeah. and have enough clout that. I think they could at least get their name off of it. If it turned into something that would just totally didn't represent them. Sure. Um, Yeah, I sure. It'll be fine. I'm sure it'll be a fun.
0: If they wanted to make a Playmobil movie or if they wanted to make a, you know, whatever Lincoln Logs movie. None of this stuff actually matters as far as. Stop giving them ideas. (laughs) None of this stuff actually matters as far as the quality of the IP itself, because that doesn't matter. What matters is, does it selling nostalgia work?
1: to the parents and it's bright colors for the kids?
0: Right. I mean, so it can, they don't need actually talented people to do any of this stuff. But in this case, they did. So hopefully that'll come through.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: So, and, and in case people don't know, Emily Gordon wrote The Big Sick or co wrote it with Camille uh, Nanjiani, which is a good movie. And, and
1: John M. Chu's directed um, stuff like Crazy Rich Asians yeah. and uh, In
0: the Heights, which uh, came out last year. And uh, you're a big fan of the Step Up series, Step Up to the Streets, and Step Up 3D, which are a lot of fun. Much he also
1: be- did the only good GI Joe movie, right? It was fun.
0: Yeah, it was watchable. So he
1: did do now. Now we see me. Now you see me too. That movies
0: so. yeah and he also did the uh gem and the holograms movie with and he kind of didn't do it the right way in my opinion but at least his stuff's watchable yeah i think if you have a good if the script is good enough mm-hmm. and they let him do what he wants to do visually i think it'll work i think it could work i'll say that yeah
1: i i, I agree. you know
0: if they studio notes them to death Mm. And they just try and make something as generic and which they might because possible. Because they might just want you know, we just want
1: Lego movie.
0: Well, I mean, but that's the thing, is the Lego movie was the success that it was because they let Phil and Chris Miller do their thing. I'm trust me, man. You're
1: saying things that producers just seem to not understand, which is like, how the fuck
0: are you guys the ones with all the money? But they are. All right. Uh, that'll do us for movie news. Let's go ahead and start talking about the movies that we're reviewing this week. Uh, Keith set up X.
1: Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to take you back in, in my time machine here to the year 1979. We have a group of fringe talents, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, a group, you know, coming from a strip club who want to, to produce a dirty movie, a porno movie, uh, rent a carriage house out in Texas countryside um, belonging to this older couple. They rent it as as an intent to make a,
0: a porno. It is their set. Yeah, it's yeah. their
1: set. They're making a porno about a, a farmer's daughter and things go horribly awry and it becomes a, a, you know, a horror movie.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's essentially the setup. So uh, this is directed by Ty West. I was excited to see this. I was a big fan of his movie House of the Devil, um, which is kind of an older film now. Like, came out like 2011 ish or so. I don't think I've ever seen anything he's done 2009, even later than I thought He did The Innkeepers, which I have not seen um, But he also did the movie called The Sacrament Which was a kind of interesting fan footage take on the Jonestown murders And he's uh, involved in that creative team of horror indie auteurs Who, uh, you know, put out the... uh, The the first couple VHS films, and he did a couple segments for those, um, along with Adam Wingard and and um, Joe Swanberg and and that whole crew. He's Um, done a lot
1: of TV stuff too lately.
0: Sure, Uh, yeah. He I think in between projects he's been doing a lot of TV. So he hasn't been as active as like Adam Wingard per se, but it was exciting to see him kind of get this opportunity to do another big horror film and uh, have the distribution afforded to him through a 24. Now I was a little interested to see what we would end up with, because I wouldn't say necessarily that his sensibility is the a 24 sensibility. If people sort of have an idea of what that is in their mind, you know, slow burn, Kind of philosophical, uh, uh, cerebral horror films. Um, that's not really what he does. I would, I mean, his movies aren't, they're not Eli Roth, but they're a little bit more into the exploitation, uh, genre well, than and, your Ari Asters of the world. And this movie definitely leans into that. Sure. Well, this movie makes direct reference to it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, essentially, this is uh, a love letter to to Toby Hooper, um, specifically Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but also his film Eaten Alive. There's a there's an alligator that appears that is uh, a direct reference to Eaten Alive, and it it plays around with this you know that that kind of idea of like that that meeting that kind of happened in the mid '70s, but when uh exploitation films crossed over into the mainstream horror realm mm-hmm. um you know texas chainsaw being one of them but certainly other movies like the hills have eyes and and uh 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 tip of my tongue don't halloween <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh also had uh a major impact on that you know at one point those would have been considered like b movies that you know went to drive-ins and then those were then became like these underground box office hits mm-hmm. um and you know that's usually the era that like your your rob zombie types and stuff usually spend a lot of time doing the homage
1: yeah referencing and and yeah and i mean you get a lot of that here too
0: for sure. Yeah. And this movie, I, I mean, there, I have a, a kind of a lot to say about it as far as its place in, in genre and, and it's genre trappings and it's uh it's homage. But what did, what did you think about it? Generally speaking.
1: I wanted more. I felt here's the thing. I think this movie's, fine and fun for everything that you said you know like it is referencing all this movie the all that it is doing all of that stuff mm-hmm. but I feel like it kind of stops there like I, I I don't I don't really feel like it's doing anything more than that and I I, I kind of expected more I I don't know like I I love the setup. I think the premise is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's this, and I I think the movie does explore this. It's it kind of explores this, uh, you know, connection between like sex and violence, and uh, and you know, how exploitation films really would draw on one to to talk about the other, and you know, I mm-hmm. like I. But I I feel like there's been so much said and written about that, that this movie is very earnest and that, like, that's all it wants to be. Right. It is one of those movies. And that's kind of all it is. You know, there was good editing. There was, I liked the characters. It was, it was flashy, but I I just... I felt like there was more under the surface to explore that they didn't explore.
0: Um, when I saw the movie, I think my initial feelings were closer to yours. Although I think I've, I came in, came in with it more satisfied than you did generally speaking. Um, mostly because as a, you know, slasher horror film, you know, a, a boobs and blood gore fest. Yeah, it fulfills. It does. It delivers. I um, and that's not necessarily like something that can be done easily. We've seen a lot of bad slasher movies. We've seen a lot of
1: true, especially nowadays. It does seem harder to approach that unironically. So I will give it that it it does approach that It, it genuinely wants to be the best it can at that.
0: Right. That's kind of what I like about it is there's sort of a purity to it. There's it's it's sort of a no frills, you know, just stab at the genre. You know, like throwing his hat in the ring of okay, I'm gonna do a Toby Hooper style teen or in this case they're like early twenty somethings, kind of a cabin in the woods type thriller. And I, you know, my, my initial thoughts were kind of closer to yours and that I thought like, okay, it did all that great, but does it really say anything new about any of that?
1: Well, Um, here's the thing. It it doesn't even necessarily need to say, because I do appreciate it's, it is a genuine attempt to return to this form. So I I don't necessarily need it to be like postmodern or ironic or anything like that.
0: See I think it kind of is though. I think it is subtly. And the more I thought about the movie and I'm not like just trying to create some wacky room 237 style like um theories about just to to make it more of an elevated horror film. I I was I was fine with it being just a a no-frills slasher. Um and and you know especially like if you compare this to Halloween kills which was so mired in its own um, mythologizing and its own, you know, mm-hmm. like sequelitis and and all of that, that it it couldn't stop to just sort of enjoy those beats. Mm-hmm. This one is almost the opposite in that it's 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 like cut to the bone. Yeah, um, yeah, I. But mm-hmm. w- upon reflection and sort of thinking about like the characters and the themes and stuff. I think there is a few things that that's kind of being said here sort of subtly. So I don't know exactly when, when a 24 got involved where I don't know if they were the initial people who gave Ty West the money to make the movie or if they just acquired it after like festivals or what. But I do think it's interesting that in this, this, this group of characters, we see these young people, there's a director character who has these ambitions to make like French art cinema. Like Mm -hmm. that's what he keeps referencing. And it's clear that he's kind of a poser and sort of a film school brat and uh, is deluding himself and that he's making something more than a porno flick in the middle of the woods. Mm -hmm. I think it's very interesting to have a movie that is essentially a boobs and blood exploitation, horror film, released by A24, who's made their entire brand this elevated art horror. Yeah. I think there might be something that Ty West is saying. Even if A24 well, okay, only got I, involved after the fact, this is certainly the climate he's releasing this movie into.
1: Absolutely. And and that, that sort of brings me to my issue with the movie. Okay. Because I felt like there was all of this kind of going on mm-hmm. right I, I felt like uh, there I, I i mean i do think there's a lot of um subtext that that he's trying to to say mm-hmm. um i think the director you pointed out is, is a uh, very interesting there's definitely uh something to be said about the character who uh, at first seems very prudish but kind of has her sexual awakening uh it, it, there's all these interesting characters and in general there's a, an interesting conversation about sex and you know there is even kind of this this connection to sex and violence and and um this you know these characters that are aging and their connection to uh sex and and I feel like it kind of just gets thrown out the window. And that is where I got frustrated, was I felt like the first half of this movie was sort of front-loaded with all the stuff that I thought was really cool and interesting.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then it it just kind of devolves into, oh, that's right, this is a horror movie, so we have to kill all these characters off in, in the most brutal, gruesome ways possible. And it just...
0: It, see, didn't, I, di- I didn't think that, that that the movie gave up on the premise. I think that the movie paid off the premise because uh-huh. I think that the idea that you know you have these this elderly couple who are beyond their years um, sexually, and, yeah. Which I, there might there you know, might be a uh,
1: something of an an ageism issue with this movie, but I'm not going to go too far down that road.
0: No, I mean. I, Yes, there is something sort of in bad taste about it. But again, we're in the world of exploitation. So sure. in, in that sense, I think that the movie is to say that this movie is is playing into ageism. It would be like saying Texas Chainsaw is playing into classism.
1: <laughs> Fair enough. And, and there, you know, there's also, um, you know, there's also some. uh uh, they're playing pretty glib with some racist issues too. And some uh, sexist issues too. So, you know, yes, you're right. We're, I think the we movie, are, I
0: but, think the movie but, is self-aware enough of these things that it's, it's doing more than just that. One of the other things, yes, one of the other themes that I think is interesting is that he, he kind of shows these two almost, almost kind of like covert body horror. He kind of like plays mm-hmm. around with this idea that, youth and beauty is desirable. So when in a, when we see them, you know, making this porno, when we see these actresses writing kid Cuddy, who is in this movie, by the way.
1: Yeah. He's great.
0: (laughs) Um, Yeah. He's actually really good. Um, You know, when he shoots it all, you know, very pornographic as much as you can while maintaining an R rating. With these scenes, obviously, he's kind of playing into, into this idea of sort of like titillating and bringing people in uh, on that level. And then, you know, when when he uses this, these same kinds of tropes, you know, nudity and sexuality with a deteriorating elderly bodies, it makes us revolted. Like naturally, you know, we're like, I don't want to see that. Um, As the characters react in the exact same way. And that is when the gore starts, because they're essentially punishing um, the audience into feeling that guilt that, uh, you know, that we deny the same uh, sexuality to to this elderly couple that we would these young supple bodies, because the elderly couple reminds us of death. And the young, you know, uh, college age bodies remind us of being alive. And I think that there's something interesting there in the context of a slasher film.
1: I and I, I don't disagree with you. I just I.
0: So in that sense, like when it when, you know, people just, start getting hacked, like hacked up was... and, and all of that stuff, I think that it it it's still in conversation.
1: Yes. I, I, again, I don't disagree with you uh, because I, I definitely saw all of that. And, and, you know, I mean, there's even a scene where, you know, this, this old woman who is, you know, who is beyond uh, uh who is still a sexual being, you know, she like, she mm-hmm. wants to have sex with her husband, but you know, he won't because he's afraid of his heart condition and stuff. Mm-hmm. She's literally, you know, like watching through a window uh uh essentially watching you know her her past like i i i get that
0: right i and, just and felt in fact, like the uh one of the characters Mia Goth who plays one of the main porn stars also doubles as the older woman Pearl
1: yeah uh she's literally a surrogate for her um right and I mean the movie is you know she she says that it's that's part of the, the story I, I guess what I'm saying is like I I felt like once once we got to the violence, I felt a disconnect. Like I I felt like maybe they made the older characters too relatable or too sympathetic. I, I kind of wanted an explanation as to why they're doing this or or something. Like it just felt I knew it was coming. I like it's so obvious that it's coming, but it felt it felt so out of place. Kind of still like, I,
0: I, I guess I get what you're saying. I mean, it's, it's, it's random acts of violence, but there, there's, there's one other thing kind of going on in the background here. And this, I don't think pays off. Mm-hmm. Um, And it, I would, I would count against the movie. Uh, is there, they're watching like this religious programming um we see on all the tvs uh yeah and it's the middle of texas so you know that's not uncommon and you know especially like like talk radio and that kind of stuff
1: you think that their motivation is is going to be like this like conservative religious fervor but that's not really what these characters are
0: not totally at least it doesn't Paint the picture fully I think That the, that might be informing You know sort of the sense of repression Or something to that effect sure. um, But again but a, that aspect And then there's there's kind of a reveal At the end and I won't give it away but I I,
1: I, I don't really know I feel I, I like agree. it
0: It was necessary or really said anything
1: I, I agree that Unless very... we
0: were going to get a sequel out of this Which I don't know if we will or not um, But yeah, I don't I don't know what that reveal does for the movie. And I don't really I don't know what all like the, the religious gesture and stuff does and, to the and story.
1: Here's the thing I I sound maybe overly critical because as I was watching this movie, I was enjoying it. And mm-hmm. and there was part of my brain that registered like this is kind of a rare treat to see in movie theaters anymore is is a movie like this oh. uh so i enjoyed that aspect of it but i don't know i it, i was left i was left feeling just a little empty like i i, I felt like i'd been slightly dupe i don't know how to explain it other than that like I, it, it just in the end it, it it didn't totally connect to me and i i felt a little like i don't know if it was because the the killer's motivation seems so out of nowhere or I mean, thematically it wasn't, mm-hmm. but story level wise, it, it was, you know, it literally comes out of nowhere and there's no real justification or explanation for it, which is fine. I mean, you know, I wouldn't don't...
0: want there to be much more than we get. I no, mean...
1: I mean, and you don't, you know, we like, we don't need a big backstory backstory. Yeah, we don't need a psychological exploration as to why Leatherface is Leatherface. That's why all of the other Texas Chainsaw movies suck. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I I did just feel a little weird about it. I just felt like I I just don't know if it totally worked for me. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. It's more of a feeling than like a story. Like on a story level, I think what you're saying is all right and it all works and it all makes sense but on on an emotional level on just a pure vibes level i don't i don't know something felt off about it to me
0: i will say that i think that there's i don't know there's there's a bit of a kind of winking to it a little bit that undercuts the horror a tad it's certainly not as dark as the exploitation horror movies it's deriving from even though the the gore is you know it earns all that and it you know it uh well that's another thing that i actually
1: think that is something that's interesting about the movie is is that the gore is much more explicit than the sex which i think is intentional
0: mm-hmm. um well one they can get away with and one they can't <laughs>
1: yes and yeah. and but I, but i think i think the movie <clears throat> is directly trying to say something about that like Mm-hmm. There is something about this this porno that we can't see everything, uh, but the violence, we're gonna see everything. and i I like that actually. I do think, but that's i i, I again, I don't know maybe I wanted that explored
0: more. i here's the thing it, is I think he's he some of this stuff sort of just bears out by the nature of what it is. yeah. so whether it's intentional or not, as far as when he was writing this or filming it, all of these subtextual reads, whether or not this is what he intended. Um, it it screams out of the film just because of the nature of what it is. Sure. But I think it works well enough as an entertaining horror film, but I'm more interested in it when I think about these subtextual. Oh, I,
1: I absolutely agree. And, and I think, I, I think that is what left me a little frustrated was I, maybe it was lacking in one thing and not the other. Uh I I don't know. I you know, but mm-hmm. it, it felt like I was coming up short with something. Because it was more the back half of the movie that I had issues with. I, I loved all of the in in I think there are some moments of perfect tension in this movie.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: just absolutely beautifully put to, to film. I think there are some moments that I would hold up there with any of these movies that, you know, that it's referencing. But then once we get to the actual violence, like I felt like some of the setups were kind of cheesy. And and again, that's all fair game in the realm of exploitation.
0: Right. I mean, it does kind of like there is a bit of a sort of a countdown quality to it it's like okay we got this guy so they're gonna how many of them are left and we got this and they're gonna how are but, these people gonna kill? but that's also sort of the fun of the genre and i think that that's
1: well but, but so i okay so let me get a little more direct to my point um you know the the killers in this case is this old couple mm-hmm. and and i think that's interesting because that's not your typical horror movie antagonist, right? Um, mm-hmm. you, usually it's a big, bulky, like Jason Voorhees or or Michael Myers or whatever yeah. um, punishing these teens. So with these characters, it, the same sort of hack and slash mentality isn't going to work, right? Like they can't just machete through six teenagers like Jason Voorhees or whatever, right? So I think they needed to be a little more clever with their setups. And, and in some cases, I think it worked like the first couple makes sense, but like the one in the, I, I'm not going to give too many details, but um, uh, there's a couple of characters that I think are killed off in pretty stupid ways. Mm. And I found that frustrating because I, I felt like, I felt like it was a good chance to be a little more creative with the kills. And maybe that's what I wanted.
0: There's a couple that I think are pretty creative and it's paced well enough in that second, in the back half between yeah, I mean, you know, who yeah. you think will live and who you think will die and, uh, and how they live and die. I will say that it, it, at times it kind of enters in sort of a relaxing pattern that is antithetical to the tension it's trying to maintain.
1: Yes. Maybe that's part of, of what fell off to me as well, because yeah, it does kind of it gets into a rhythm of but-da-da-da, but da 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 but da 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 kill but right. kill. Right. Uh,
0: yeah, that's, I, th- and also, that's what I mean. But I think I think the few places where it does switch it up or try something different is fairly interesting. Yeah, I mean, I overall, I I gave this movie a B plus because it 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 made me think, it's good enough at doing what it's trying to do. as like a Toby Hooper homage, it's a pretty good one, it's better than some of the movies he made later on.
1: Honestly, I, I do agree uh-huh. with that, and I think it's it's better than, uh, I think it's better than a lot of. I think this is a a lot more enjoyable than some of like the Rob zombie stuff. Who's been referencing
0: Texas chainsaw and just about everything he does, you know? Uh, Yeah. I mean, I would say this is um, maybe on par with, uh, with house of a thousand corpses or um, devil's rejects, both of which I like enough. Um, Totally different stylistically. Yeah. Very. Yeah. Um, You know, I'm just saying
1: so many people have referenced, Sure. Texas chainsaw visually that it's, it, it is hard to have an original take on it. I think. And I do think this movie does that. So yeah, I I do give it credit for that. Again, I love the premise and for the most part, I think it pays the premise off.
0: Right. And I think that it actually has a a fairly decent cast of characters because if I actually, yeah, I didn't care about any of these people, then that second half would really wouldn't matter. But I, you know, and there's not only a couple. I mean, there's at least six principal leads um, of these youthful yeah, characters. Yeah, and, and I think for the most part, they yeah,
1: I, I they're well defined enough, uh, and you know, the mm. actors are are really, you know, most of them are really charming and fun and have really fun performances. Like I, I agree. I think the characters. Are one of the things that made this movie work Because I felt like I actually cared When they died Even though going into this I know that most if not all of them Are probably fodder Right um, But it 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 actually does uh, Make you care enough about them I, I do think it's interesting Because I do think the final girl Was probably the least interesting character Which is I don't know I don't know if there was an intentionality to that or not. I also want to draw attention to the... the I didn't care for the fact that the, the killers, the old couple, mm-hmm. uh, I'm pretty sure they were younger actors who seemed like they were in a lot of old
0: makeup. Well, in the case of Mia Goth playing Pearl, the, the sundowning...
1: Oh, she literally played both parts?
0: Yeah. Oh,
1: okay. I'm going to have to reassess how I feel about that. <laughs> I, here's the thing. I don't, I don't really like it when young actors play old people. Uh, Cause you can always tell there's j- like, you can always tell there's a, there's a physicality to it. There's a vocal thing to it. Like you can hear it. You can see it. I, I don't like it. And I found the old age makeup. Well, pretty good. I could still tell that it was old age makeup and that sure. bothered me.
0: Yeah. Stephen Urie plays the other uh, person in the couple, Howard. Um, I, uh, I I bought into those characters well enough. I mean, I could tell that they were certainly made up to look more ghoulish. I couldn't exactly pinpoint their age. Um, you know, I didn't know Mia Goth was playing both one of the young characters and one of the old characters. I, I found that out after the fact. Um yeah I didn't realize and was so, more was impressed so. by that performance after the after the fact knowing that. Mm-hmm. Um but I I also think that it's the makeup is supposed to evoke more than just realistic age. I mean they're they're monsters. This is monster yes. makeup.
1: I, I know <laughs> but it I don't know something about it bothered me a little.
0: Yeah, I mean I I I didn't have a problem with the way they looked. I I thought that it was again, sort of par for the course. They don't look as like, like with the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, those people, they just look like they went and found those people on the street or something and cast them.
1: No, it's, it's specifically a thing with, with old age makeup. All right. With old age makeup on film. It just, you, I I don't know. You can of
0: Melting wax kind of look.
1: Yeah. And it just, I, I just—it's an aesthetic I don't care for. I don't know. I think I, I, I probably
0: notice it more and have a bigger problem with it when it's a uh, a movie that's trying to convey the passage of time, and so they age up the character with with. To the... me, this is this looked the same.
1: I I would prefer it if it was older actors who they made to look ghoulish and and because I I do think yeah I do agree with you like they are monsters and they should mm. visually represent that. It's it's beyond just old age, but I I think you can do that with older actors, which I I guess Stephen Urie is older. You know, he's
0: yeah, he's not as old as the character, but he's probably in his fifties or sixties or something. Yeah, and yeah, and
1: that's what I mean. Like you can make old people look like monsters. I don't know.
0: Um. So I gave it a B plus. What
1: did you give it? Uh, I'm, I'm around that. I'm going to give it a B minus. I might grade it on a little bit of a curve, uh, just because I do think this type of movie is kind of rare, especially for a theatrical release, uh, and give it a solid B. Yeah.
0: I mean, I think that, you know, with this type of material, it would be easy to make forgettable schlock. This and isn't that.
1: I agree. Yeah. There's I mean, more going on here than there definitely needed to
0: be. Right. Yeah. I mean, the bare minimum would just be would just be to put these characters in danger and then kill them. Um, And the movie attempts to do a little bit more than that. And I I think it does it with a lot of style.
1: Yeah. And I I think it's more successful most of the time, but not all
0: of the time. I mean, there is kind of a um, troublemaker studio doing their version of a grindhouse. Thing going on here, you know what I mean? Like it's Mm -hmm. it's not true exploitation. It is definitely simulating uh, the the era in a way. I
1: think it's interesting because it's they're trying to do the same thing that the Grindhouse movie did with sure. And you uh, could just
0: as easily have seen this paired with any of those movies.
1: Yeah, but this is a little less tongue in cheek about it, which I think is is a little less
0: to see. I wouldn't say that, uh, I mean, maybe a lot less than, than Planet Terror, but I would say not significantly less than than and, uh, uh, Death Proof. And Death Proof. Um, yeah, I, I just mean it's... Or the Machete movies or whatever. Yeah. What I mean, well, the reason I bring that up is his movie House of the Devil. One of the things that was so impressive about it was it, if you didn't know, like the actors you would swear it was made in 1980 because he, he like simulates that look and feel perfectly. Uh, it's Whereas a little here more... it you can tell it's a new movie. That's kind of making reference to that era.
1: Oh, 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 Oh house of the devil. I thought, yeah, I, yes, this one you can tell, but um I haven't seen
0: house of the devil. So, which I, I would still say is the superior one of the two. Um, But I like this one, you know, not too much. Less than that. And maybe structurally, I think it, it even does things more successfully. Uh, okay. That is X. Let's go ahead now and talk about Roxanne, which was your uh, homework for me. Um, you said you watched it on Hulu. Mm-hmm. And I watched it on HBO Max. So it is widely available. Um, this yeah. is adaptation of uh, Cyrano de right. Yeah, which they just recently remade with um, Peter Dinklage. Mm -hmm. That takes place in, uh, you know, it's a period piece. Uh, This one is more of an updated version of it. Um, Steve Martin, Daryl Hannah. Steve Martin is a fire chief in a small city somewhere in the Northwest. And he has a big nose, a comically large rubber stick on nose. And he is has kind of a way with words, has been able to sort of get by on his charm and his sophistication. It's very kind of like small town, everybody knows everybody kind of thing. You know, he's a fire chief, but his inept uh, firefighters, uh, they never have to actually put out fires. Like the most action they're going to get is getting cats out of trees and that kind of thing. Um, and in comes Daryl Hannah, who's new to the town, playing Roxanne, and they quickly form a strong friendship and an intellectual flirtation. Uh, but then also in comes Rick Rosovich as Chris, a hunky buff firefighter who uh, joins uh, Steve Martin's team, and she immediately is attracted to him, and thus the story goes. Um, Chris does not have a way with words and is very, very shy and insecure when it comes to talking to women, which uh, Steve Martin has uh, uh, CD, what's his name? C.D. Bales. Mm-hmm. Um, he has all the confidence in the world and all of the flower, flowerly language, but has no confidence in his appearance. So the two sort of team up. To woo uh, Roxanne. Um, We've seen lots of versions of the story told throughout the years, Mm -hmm. but uh, this was a a well-known Steve Martin catalog title, which I somehow never really come across. I mean, I always kind of knew it was there, but I maybe something about the big rubber nose, like kind of was, a turnoff for me. I, I remember as a
1: kid. Yeah. Cause I, I always liked Steve Martin, but I was like, eh, well, the weird nose one. I don't know. <laughs>
0: like, <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And also, I mean, it's, it's, it's certainly more kind of presented as a, a comic romance. Um, yeah.
1: I also, um I do think it's, it's of, it's noteworthy um that this was the first time uh this was the first full script treatment that Steve Martin wrote himself uh before this you know he had story credits and or, or you know with punch up scripts, but this was like the first you know it, obviously the framework was there with Cyrano, but this was the first time that he wrote the the full script himself,
0: yeah, and it's it's basically it's his movie it's 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 a big uh it's a big excuse for him to do a lot of his shtick. I mean, he he doesn't play, he doesn't play the, uh, the banjo, but that's about the only thing he doesn't do in this movie. Pretty much. Yeah. It is very,
1: you know, Steve Martin being Steve Martin. Yeah. Um, which, you know, usually there's kind of two Steve Martins. There's, uh, you know, the, the lovable idiot. And then there is the, the guy who's smarter than everybody else, but frustrated.
0: Sometimes he can kind of play that as a crank, like in transplants and automobiles, Mm -hmm. or sometimes it's a little bit more kind of playful like this.
1: Yeah. Um, Uh, So what did you think of Roxanne?
0: I was a little mixed on it, to be perfectly honest. I think there's things about it I like. I really like this kind of era of romantic comedy. In the mid 80s, uh, mid to late 80s, where there were these these kind of like magic realist romantic comedies
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, where they didn't have to take themselves entirely seriously. That they kind of exist in the, their own hyper stylized worlds where mm-hmm. things don't have to make sense on a natural level, um, but they make sense for the story they're telling. And yeah. obviously you know, doing a uh, uh, take on Cyrano sort of allows that. Um, but I'm, I, I, you know, I recently saw Moonstruck, which is very much kind of living in this sort of like modern urban fairy tale kind of thing. Um, I think, of, you know, purple rose to Cairo and a splash to a certain extent. Uh, I think there was Daryl Hannah as well.
1: Yeah. Um, uh, also. Yeah. I mean, she's a mermaid and splash. Right. De- definitely some, uh, uh Magical realism yeah. going on.
0: Yeah, and so I I like this era, and I like just sort of how like light and airy they are, and how they can just they're not shackled by trying to justify everything in this modern sensibility.
1: Yeah, no, I I get what you're saying, and
0: I like that. I, I like that too. It, it, it it's it's something that we've kind of lost, you know. I mean. I, Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can you could think of like, you know, the Nora Ephron movies, um they certainly sort of naturalized things a lot and that those were sort of the birth of the modern American uh romantic comedy and then you know, later on with your uh How to Lose a Guy in 10 you- 10 days, all these like very premise oriented misunderstanding movies and stuff. But
1: there's a, a, a breeziness to this era in particular uh, that, right. that it just is relaxing. It, you know, it is it is comfort food. It is. Yeah. I, yeah. I, well, I, things I,
0: don't things aren't natural, but they're also not stupid.
1: Yeah. And it's it, it just is the world of the movie. Right. Movies and could have their own worlds without without having to explain that. Whereas right. now it's, it's kind of,
0: it's almost in a way it's like a carryover, like tonally, it's mm. sort of a carryover of like sort of the, the romantic um, comedies of, or like the screwball comedies from like the, the forties and the fifth, the thirties and forties and the fifties, but it's as well as like sort of the hyper unreality of like the American musical. Um, yeah. Yeah. Sort of like I, come into its own its own thing. And it was a thing that existed for a little while. And then sort of went away after like when Harry met Sally and sleepless in Seattle um, sort of changed the game, but there's a charm to it. There's a, a... right. I mean, I think the last time that this, this type of thing was approached sincerely, like, you know, like throw everything out the window, um, uh, throw reality out the window and just let it be is, was uh, like midnight in Paris. Kind. I would just like more of a return to. I, uh, I think to this style of of romantic comedy, like the magic realist thing, especially.
1: I, I think specifically the Judd Apatow era of. Well, those of, of
0: sort of cynical, not cynical, but those like, were made for for guys.
1: No, I know, but but I'm saying that I feel like that kind of killed this era of movie because. I mean, obviously, there were hugely successful movies, right. but that that kind of became what all comedies sort of were for the better part of a decade.
0: Right. Well, the, I mean, comedy as a as a genre, a film genre anyway. Well, that, that's is, what I mean. Like,
1: so is, you couldn't you couldn't sell something as just a romantic comedy anymore.
0: Right. You know, it, it, it's there's, it's a smaller and smaller piece uh, of of the pie uh, yeah, than it used to be. Where there used to be more diversity in comedy. Now it's like if we're gonna do this, it, we have to know it's gonna sell.
1: Yeah, so and it has to be big budget, and it has to have right. all everybody in it. And yeah, yeah, a movie uh, like
0: a movie like Barb and Star, go to Del Mar or whatever. Like that would have been every theater, you know, weekend smash in like two thousand three, and now it's like basically relegated to a streamer. Yeah, and I heard good things about that. Um, I have um, too. Um, yeah. I want to talk about things that I don't think worked. Sure. Um, I don't think it's that funny. Uh, and I don't think that the jokes, for the most part, land almost ever. I, I, there's a couple premises I like. like I really like this mm-hmm. idea of this inept um, uh, firefighters who can't can't do their job at all. That's the best repeating joke.
1: I, I agree with you. That was that was kind of the only thing that I ever found particularly funny, either.
0: Right. Yeah, but a lot of like the the setups and the dialogue. Um, sometimes there's some fun like back and forth banter that um it's well written in like a uh, phonetic kind of way, but it's not in a writerly sense. Yes. It's, yeah.
1: It's the the dialogue feels fairly natural for the most part. There's some stuff that feels a little dated. Uh well there's quite I, I,
0: a few things I think feel pretty dated about the yes,
1: movies. That that was honestly my biggest issue with it is is just watching this movie from uh when was this 1987? 88, uh, I think. Yeah. Watching that with uh 2022 20, eyes mm. doesn't do the movie a lot of favors.
0: Right. It it's it, there's some pretty grating sexism Uh um,
1: and and by both,
0: by both male leads it's and, and, you know, some of the sexism it is aware of, and some of it, it is not. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I, I mean, I'm not saying I need this to be like, you know, the wokest thing in the world, you know, a a remake of Cyrano. Um, But uh, yeah, there's some, there's some lines in here and there's some like, some behaviors that uh is like kind of like nails on a chalkboard now.
1: Yeah. you yeah. just go, uh, okay. It, it's and it's not like it's I'm not it's like holding not like against expensive the expensive stuff. It's not like it's cancelable or whatever. No, it's, no. It's it, just
0: it's, it's just you'll notice it.
1: Yeah. It it feels like, you know, when you're petting a cat the wrong way. It's like, eh, that's not okay. (laughs) That's not right. Right. Um, Yeah. Definitely.
0: Yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't thrown out of the movie completely. And and to some extent, whenever you're watching a movie of a certain age, you come to expect those things. Um, But yeah, I did want it to be funnier than it was, especially since it's Steve Martin, he wrote it. It's, you know, and I think the performance is there and he, you know, he's like doing like parkour before anybody, called it parkour well that um that's also the I mean, physical is, performance is is great but I, I, that, I
1: that's also like part of the character too like a, right that that's from the sources cyrano is like you know really a because like they substitute a sword fight scene with this weird scene with um his tennis racket where they right. like have this sword fighting fully, Yeah. 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 Which I, I, I actually kind of enjoyed. Uh, it's, it's very dated feeling, but I, I, I sort of uh, felt uh, charmed by the, that, that quality. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's
0: one of those, it's early on in the movie that kind of lets you know, like this movie is not taking place in a recognizable reality.
1: Also, this movie is not going to be, Side-splittingly
0: hilarious, like uh, oh, they, I think at the time they thought that was that was it, like that, like you were gonna lose your shit. And at the time, maybe people did, but I mean, there's just a, I don't know. The movies I think gets by kind of like Cyrano himself gets by a lot on charm, yes, and, um, and
1: and wit without, yeah,
0: yeah, with without actually like presenting the goods. Like I mean, I I just. I wanted to I wanted to laugh more than I did, but I, it's not the worst thing I've ever seen. Um Well, I I, I did not find it like hard to watch. I just, but when I when it was all said and done, I was like, okay, that it was it was cute.
1: Yeah, I, I, again, I I keep using the word charming. Like I I feel mm. like it's disarming. It's very comfortable. It's very uh again, except for a few moments that are like, uh it, it's it's easy to watch. I yeah, I don't think there's anything particularly hilarious i i do think uh you know and i kind of said this with treasure planet i do think the core of the story works the the core story of of de bergerac and uh you know the idea of you know being insecure in love and and wanting to be loved for who you are and not for Sure. You know what I mean? Like all of the, the thematic stuff of Cyrano works. The the bones are good, and I think you know, kind of like when we reviewed Treasure Planet, when you have a good story, that's gonna come through and and still make it you know at least watchable.
0: Yeah, and I, and I think that the the cast is doing a lot of a lot of that work too. Yeah. Um. I I mean, obviously Steve Martin is is a you know, comedic genius of sorts, um, and I, I think on a phys- oh, I mean, the I, physicality of the character sells me, even if I don't always care for the dialogue. Um, I
1: mean, Steve Martin, he's he's one of my favorites. Yeah, uh, yeah,
0: and I, I really like uh, Daryl Hannah in this. I think she she works for that character, and I and uh, uh, Shelley Duvall, who plays a, a side character in here. Yeah, she is really a, a
1: small but a notable character as a. Uh, uh, CDs, like best friend and confidant. I I also thought uh, Rick Rossovich was great. I thought he he was, um, I actually thought he was one of the funnier parts because of just, you know, he's a bit dense and and, you know, he's just kind of a dense himbo. Right. And I think that was where some of uh, that and like you said, the fire station was where most of the comedy comedy came
0: through. Yeah, yeah, I agree. There's So most of the visual gags are better than the actual like written setups. Yeah. Um, I don't. Is this like a must see like 101 movies you must see before you die kind of movie? I don't necessarily think so. But um, it's if you like romantic comedies enough that you want to kind of go back and watch one from a bygone era. Um, after you've seen Moonstruck, after you've seen Purple Rose of Cairo, um, pop this one in.
1: Yeah, I think this is a, it, it, you know, it's it's still, you know, a, a decent date movie. It's still, um, if you're a fan of Steve Martin, I think it's definitely worth watching. I think it's, you know, a, a good one of his repertoire. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, I don't, if you're not interested in any of these things, I don't think there's, Much need for you to
0: seek it out. Did you ever see the truth about cats and dogs? With like, I no, I uh, Uma Thurman, right? Yeah, Uma Thurman and um, Janine Garofalo. It was basically Cyrano gender swapped. Oh, okay, sure. Janine Garofalo is a radio host, and she develops a relationship with one of her listeners but she's insecure about the way she looks. So her, her model neighbor played by Uma Thurman um, does all of the, the, the physical presentation until she can feel, you know, confident enough to reveal herself. Mm. Um, It was, it was on cable a lot for free when I was a kid. (laughs) And it was one of those movies along with uh, uh, Clueless and the, um, Brady Bunch movie that was like shown it was like those three movies shown about one after the other for like a whole summer (laughs) yeah so I ended up watching that movie like something like eight times in one summer (laughs) um but that's a that's a fun take on the Cyrano thing
1: yeah again I think I think the core of the story holds up because Mm. it connects with with this feeling of insecurity, you know, like everybody has things that they don't like about themselves and, and it it translates that in a very, I think, relatable way.
0: Yeah. I think, uh, you know, kind of going back to the unintentional sexism, I do think that that the actor who plays Chris, the himbo is, is pitched perfect. I think he's playing that exactly like how he should. Yeah. And we we end up sort of feeling sorry for there's something interesting about that character, the idea that he's he's really attractive, but he can't talk to women because he's he doesn't feel like he's smart enough, or he doesn't or he's really intimidated with his words. There's something really interesting to be said about that. Yeah. Unfortunately, all of his dialogue just makes him sound like a dick. <laughs> and well, that- <laughs> I just wish that they had they he had that Steve Martin had figured out a different way to convey that he's not very bright without just making him um, a chauvinist. Yeah, I well, I- because the actor isn't playing it that way. The actor's no, playing it- him like he's like he's a gentle hearted kind of, you know, big, dumb lug. I actually
1: don't, okay, if we're going to get into it, I actually don't think the character himself
0: necessarily was. uh, No, I mean, I I don't think that the movie thinks he is either. It's just that, you know.
1: But but there there is a scene at the beginning when they're first introducing this character where he's being led around town by a guy who is that, who is that male chauvinist like
0: right right uh, one of the other firefighters and and he's
1: like you know teaching him he's like showing him the ropes or whatever so I think it's that you know when the character gets frustrated that's what comes through because that's what he sort of learned and it was easier for him to fall back on because he couldn't compare to cd so I I don't think the character necessarily came across that way I think it came across that just like he was reflecting CD, he was also reflecting this guy. Like, cause when we actually get to see him, the only time we really get to see him with his personality is when he's having, you know, when he's having genuine chemistry with the the bartender and right. He doesn't come across like a a dick except for, you know, the, the fact that how he's treating Roxanne, um, but they have a genuine chemistry. So I, I don't think I, to me, he yeah, didn't come across that way.
0: Yeah, I, I guess it's more of a complaint about the dialogue than anything. But um, yeah, I I liked it enough. The next episode we're going to do, the streaming homework will be the film The Devils, uh, which I believe was in 71, 72. Um it's on Shutter right now if you're a Shutter subscriber and uh it's actually a difficult film to get a hold of um as far as you know the DVD rights and it's one of those movies where there's certain cuts of it that have never seen the light of day and you know so when it does appear on one of these streaming services whichever one it is you should make a point of seeing it or if it plays in your city or something um, so we'll talk about that. It's a weird one. So strap in. But if anybody has anything to say about any of the movies we talked about on this episode uh, or previous, you can email us at MacGuffinPod at gmail.com. You can also follow us on social media, uh, Twitter and Instagram at McGuffinpod um be sure to leave a five star rating and a one sentence review at whichever pod catcher is your preferred uh, whether it be iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, um player.fm, Pocket Cast, whatever. Um, and you can read my movie reviews that I do for the Idaho State Journal by googling Idaho State Journal Arts and Entertainment page. Um, you can also just go to my Twitter at V.C. Cassidy, where on my bio, I have linked um, the arts and entertainment page. So you could find my reviews that way as well. You can also follow me on Instagram at V.C. Cassidy, where I show my record collection. Keith,
1: you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Keith Foster Kid uh, you can also follow my art, uh, my drawing account at Sticky Note Aesthetic. Uh, also, also, uh, by the time you're hearing this, I think we will only have one weekend left of uh, murder on the Orient Express. Uh, but uh, as far as I know, um, we're, we are able to proceed with the show um, with our COVID protocols in place. Uh, so yes, please come out and, 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 you know, try to check out the last weekend of the show. Uh, you can check that out at Coronado Playhouse. Uh, I believe it's coronadoplayhouse.org.
0: Yes. And be sure to read the other articles and written reviews by the rest of the MacGuffin staff over at McGuff.in. That is the episode. Bye.